<laughs> Welcome to a spooktacular episode of Running Inside Out the Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, we have some scary fast runners for you. Oh, okay, that's that's it. That's all I got for jokes. Davin Askvig returns, and this time he is accompanied by everyone's favorite pacer, Mike Weldon. Uh, Davin has had a solid summer winning Burning River 100, Twisted Branch 100K, Strolling in for an eighth place at the Rochester Marathon on his way towards his second go at Oil Creek, where he didn't quite repeat last year's victory, but finished in second with uh, distance and course PRs. Davin uh, shares his thoughts on pacers and pacing, um, the ever-present importance of nutrition, and his experiences with Twisted Branch and the place it holds for him. Uh he also shares his thoughts on the new Rochester Marathon course. Um, Mike Weldon is an established ultra runner in his own right. Um, a highlight of his year being his sub 24 hour finish at Burning River. However, Mike has also put a lot of work into helping his friends achieve their goals this year. And uh, in this episode, he shares his Oil Creek experiences as well as some of the things he has learned while supporting others in their big events. Uh, there's also discussion on the nuances of running hurdles while training versus racing, um, and then eating while training, or not eating while training in some cases. Many more uh, random bits and pieces, including uh, Mike's spooky technique of self-induced out-of-body experiences during ultras. Um, but before we jump in, I'd like to take a moment to thank uh, some supporters of the show for this month. A gigantic thank you to Trails Rock for stepping up and supporting the show with a sustaining financial donation. Um, while they didn't do it through the Patreon program, uh, they made a one-time donation uh, at the It's Your Show level, which means we'll be hearing from them in the future as they decide the programming of an episode. Now, it may be Halloween this weekend, but I'll tell you what, that's that's going to be scary. Uh, also, uh, thank you to one of the podcast's biggest fans, Colin Bailey. Colin donated some equipment that will help improve the quality of our source recordings. So, future guests of the show, you'll have Colin to thank every time I ask you to put on a pair of headphones so you can hear your own levels. What a guy. What a guy. And, uh... That's that's it for updates. Um, so with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and brains of Rochester, New York runners. Um, I don't know how much of my backstory you know, but in high school, at least early on in high school, we moved here when I was going into seventh grade from Texas. Right, yeah. I think and you mentioned I that, yeah. I had decided when we moved here that I wanted to cross-country ski. That's the place to do it. 
And so we moved here and I learned promptly and spent, that's really what I focused on, especially in early high school, went to junior nationals, was in the top 20 in the country, part of the, you know, the future Olympians of the country program. And by my junior year, I was so burnt out on skiing, I just didn't care mm. anymore. Even though, you know, I continued to go to states and compete, and it's so equipment heavy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my junior years when running started to pick up for me because it was so simple. Um, so Mendon Ponds was our ski course. So every trail in Mendon Ponds is so familiar to me. I can show you wax on rocks. Right, that you put there. For, for my speed, you know, pieces of base or whatever. Um, and Powder Mill being the location of my parents' house, I'd escape from there all the time to go run or mm-hmm. play around on a mountain bike. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whatever. So this is my tromping ground, but I'm from the east side. Mm-hmm. Crescent Trail was so nascent at that period, there was really only like one trail, and that trail went from the parking lot on Carnsey up to Woodcliffe, and that was about it. Right. That was really all that existed at that time. Now it's this conglomerate of stuff. Mm-hmm. Indian Hill was there, but it really wasn't connected up to much else. Yeah, I like Black Creek if I just... I like that for taking the kids around for a little run. I like it if I'm just going to do five miles out in the woods, but... Um, you need more. <clears throat> you need more. It's it's not a great place for that. It's a great place for kids. It's fun for little events and exploration. And Jeff um, was asking me, being in Buffalo, he's like, "Where do you go?" I said, "It's Buffalo, dude. There's like nowhere to go." Chestnut Ridge. You gotta you gotta drive. Hunter's Creek's better than Chestnut Ridge, and he's discovered Hunter's Creek. But I said, at the point at which I'm investing 45 minutes of travel time, at, at that point in two hours, I can be in Titusville. And I can run a 25-mile uninterrupted trail loop without ever going over the same ground twice. And so it's awfully tempting just to go ahead and bite off the two-hour drive and go do it. Um, because you can't get that much uninterrupted trail mm-hmm. anywhere around Buffalo. Mm-mm. No, when I, I ran cross-country in Buffalo in high school, and we ran That's around... Right, you're from the area. Yeah, we ran around Delaware Park for cross-country. Amherst's home course is behind the high school. It's pathetic. Mm-hmm. They, run up a man-made grassed berm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times, three or four times in the course of a 5K race. Our, um, our training runs used to be cause from Hutch Tech down LaSalle to the waterfront, run basically the length of the waterfront, do weird loops inside the grass that's there at the waterfront. Yeah, and Tift was around then, right? Tift was around. Was it, was it really kind of... It, it was really like... Not that it, there's any elevation or no, anything. No, but it was it was called a nature preserve, but it was more like it was almost like roads that people would drive garbage trucks or you know pickup trucks full of garbage down, and be like, "Is this a good place to dump the washer?" You know, and it was maintained, but it wasn't really like a place you wanted to go very often. Um, but yeah, we didn't. You know, we ran botanical gardens, like run around there a little bit, and a little elevation, I guess. yeah, there's no elevation. It was just more distance, yeah. and that's why we'd get our butt kicked when we went to sectionals because we had no real like. You get around, 
Iroquois to the school out in Elma, and they used Elma Meadows the whole time, so they've been grinding their way on, on mm -hmm. hills. Some of the schools up in Niagara County also use, mm -hmm. they use the escarpment. I mean, that's the only hills we have in Buffalo is escarpment. We don't actually have topography. No, we're, you know. It's lakefront plain. Low-lying, low-lying, right. So, it, you know, I didn't really run much after I left high school. I came to RIT and... I started running a little, but I was really kind of first two years was focused on RIT. That's why I was here for school. That's exactly what I did. I went yeah. to college and I said all I did through high school was compete. All yeah. I did was travel every weekend for cross country skiing or I, I didn't run track. I, was, I ran track up through my freshman year. And, uh, and after that, I said, screw running in circles. I don't uh -huh. want to run in circles anymore. And so I did two seasons cross country and cross uh, country skiing. I spent the spring, especially late high school, probably drinking too much. That's well. That was my the end of my second year of college. That's when that all started. And then I have the dark ages. I didn't run much. I didn't run at I didn't all. Come back to it until it was 20, 29 or thirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 30, 33 probably for me. And it was I had entered a different dark period and needed something. Mm -hmm. And um, the first few runs I took, because we all remember our former cross country selves. <laughs> Yeah, I was so embarrassed about how long it took me to run a mile. I was, I was mortified at myself because I was like, I can just go and do this, no problem. And and I've always been a thin person. It doesn't mm. matter, right? If the cardio is not there, it's okay. not there. Right? And it, it took me a while. It took me a while. Yeah, and I, I found the first five k I ran, and my wife went to it, and you know, I got like first old guy. There was like a couple of <laughs> first old guy. It was like a couple of high school guys that finished in front of me. So I think I got third, you know. But I thought the time was pathetic. And um, and I just remember, you know, she was like, oh, it's great, you did great. And I was like, no, that's horrible. This, I'm embarrassed for myself. And she kind of had to shake me out of the paralysis of feeling as though it was anything to be embarrassed about. And that's where... That's where ultras really, I do think, help in, in if you approach them in the right way to be a, a truly humbling scenario. Now, the guy who wanted Oil Creek, he deserved it. He ran a great race. He PR, he, he course recorded that by 20 minutes. He was really consistent. And, uh, you know, I can't fault him for that. I stayed on a well, I'm, and I'm not embarrassed about my own finish, you know. I'm you had a PR too, right? And my finish, it's it's in the top six times of that course ever, so. Yeah. You know, sure, did I want to pull off a win? I'll tell you exactly what I was, I was saying <laughs> on the podcast too. As soon as I was signed number one. Yeah, yeah. It's a death kiss. What is it? I was like, there's no way to win. I tell well, you right now. next year you won't get number one. That's right. <laughs> And I thought, you know, should I go down there and just do the 100K? Forget the 100 mile. But I think that that course could have a sub-1700 mile on, on a really good day. i got to be one of the few people that know that course as good as anybody mm -hmm. for the number of times that I've trained on it and run on it. Um, and loop courses have their advantage and their disadvantage. At Burning River, you never saw the same thing. There's something to be said Except for, for Covered Bridge, right? That was one double loop. 
only the covered bridge itself. Yeah. So the loop you went out on, the only thing that you saw a second time was literally the covered bridge. Oh, okay. It was another loop after you left the bridge. Oh, okay. It was just using the same aid station for that. Um, and there's something to be said for Twisted Branch or Burning River or Delaware Water Gap doing point to point. Because the only way to get to the finish is by getting to the finish. Mm -hmm. I think that, I speculate that Oil Creek's um, attrition rate is as high as it is because when you loop past the start finish, your car is there, everything is there, and you can just say, forget it, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I've had enough. That's what I think I'll do at Mind the Ducks this year. I'll just run one lap and be done. <laughs> That's I'll, it. I'm good. I'll have a 12-hour finish. You can't DNF. You just got to, you know. But, um, yeah, Mike's been trying to goad me in <clears> saying, I, I think I think you could set the American record for 12 hours. You should come out and do it. It's like, I don't... And I've done BPAC and done it well. So, and, I, and I've done Beast of Burden. So clearly I can take apart boring courses and manage them. But there's something about 12 hours of a one-mile loop that just sounds... See, I thought it was going to be... So I thought it was going to be horrendous. I never wanted to go there at all. I wasn't interested. I'm like, well, no, what are you talking about? And um, this year I went because because Laura and, and Matt were there. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go, go check it out. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to help them. At that point in time, I also wanted to see sort of how Mike crude a race because that was coming up for me for Sega Honda so I wanted to see sort of how that went and um and it was fun actually it was really entertaining granted I wasn't running for 12 hours I ran I ran maybe 10 loops you know over the course of the day because I had put miles in anyway and it was fun to there's not your car doesn't have to be or your camp doesn't have to be the only aid station you know, you can stop at someone else's if you want on a different loop and just, you know, even take some of your food on the lap and drop it and be like, I'm going to come get this in a bit. You know, you could have three or four or ten different aid stations if you felt you could do a tour. So it it wasn't something that I had thought of. But, you know, somebody would stop with Laura. And I think there's familiarity because everybody's mm -hmm. on that same path. And you're you seeing different people. Yep. Throughout that time. Yep, you see people that you could be on mile 40 and they're on mile 20. And you still get to have a chat with them for a couple minutes. Because you're going the same speed. You know, and so that was really interesting to me. And part of me is thinking I would do it again, or I would do it this year. Do it more in earnest. I'd start with the sixth hour. Let me just yeah. But once you check out two races, though, they both happen to be in Pennsylvania. One's called... The Double Dinger, it's a little over a half marathon. It's in March, so it's a very early race um, on Tourisville, so basically Williamsport. Okay. It's a reasonable distance, about two hours away. Yeah. You could actually bang down there morning of and bang back without a hotel stay because um, it's not an unreasonable distance. Same guy that um, manages that, that's the RDs that last year started a race called the World's End 100K. I heard about that one, yeah. That has a 50K option, too. It's um, profile and course description. Sounds an awful lot like Tristan Branch. And so mm -hmm. I put it on my potentials, 
as a basis of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. has gotten under my skin in a way that few races have. Oil Creek did last year. Can Lake did for a first. That was my first ultra, and I did it four years consecutively. I think just because he, he got got into me <laughs> in some way. Um, but I'm curious, and I like that 100k distance. You mm-hmm. definitely know you've been out there for a long time, but it doesn't quite have the wear and tear of a full hundo. Yeah, my my goal is to get some 100ks. And, you know, maybe There's even a few... There's not a lot of rounds. That's no, the reason and, that makes me say, check it out. Yes. Yeah. And a few 50-milers, too, because there's not a lot of 100Ks. So, um, if, you know... So, I was going to do Cayuga because I went to that last year, and that became really appealing to me. I still don't love the stairs. Um, stairs are hard to contend with, and they're hard on the knees. That's why I don't you know love them. what your them. knee issues are, is... Mm-hmm. If it had been trail, even, even vertical trail... It would have been different to take apart than mm-hmm. hard stairs. Yep. And so that's and that's got me. Part of it for the knee is the stairs going down. Yep. I ain't going up so much. Yeah, and you know I'll be doing a lot more strengthening this winter um, to to sort of compensate for for that distance, but. I don't love stairs, and there's a lot of them. Um, and then so Mike suggested Laurel. Laurel's near impossible to get into, so you got to have the timing right. But because it sells out so quick, it sells out. It's 130 people. The application open date is like a mystery. Just one day, it's just posted that it's open, and they take postmark times. You know, so they they do it based on the time of the postmark on your envelope. First 130 people. I know Mike had said he thought Laurel would be something that would be right in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those Pennsylvania races, like from Buffalo to where Laurel is, it's probably three hours away, mm-hmm. so it's not far. Yeah, so that and that's two weeks after Cayuga Trails. It's in late. Uh, yeah, late it's in June. I think it's in June. Yeah, late June. Late May or June. Yeah, I'm it's. I'm thinking about Eagle Hundred right now, which is in June. Yeah. Is I can manage two hundos a year, so I'm trying to think of a. Late spring, um, and I'm going to try to avoid racing in July long. August is okay, especially late August where Twisted Branch was. I I I gotta imagine I'll be doing Twisted Branch again. I think most of us are going to dip our. I need I need redemption. <laughs> and that's part of it. Is yeah. Even my first go at the course, um, I think there's so much more that can be done there. Mm-hmm. I need a little more training on the course itself so I can take it apart different. Um, I'm familiar now with what to expect and so can manage my nutrition hydration based on what I know more. You know, I went in totally blind. I didn't know mm-hmm. a damn thing. Yeah, and it'd be, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm going to work with, with uh, Scott on in, improving some of the pieces that can help all of the racers from the front to the very back. Some of that has to do with reflective course markings. You know, Mike saw, I kept talking about in a way that probably made Oil Creek sound like like such an ideal reality, but because he ran in the night with me, he saw what I kept talking about as being course marking that there's no way you can ever get lost on. And it's not ridiculous to the point of taking away from the natural experience. But there's no way you can get lost. 
Why? Because runners look at the ground, they don't look at the trees, and because there's coarse markings frequently enough on the ground with the flags with reflective tape <coughs> that your headlamp picks up on everything. Ron was saying it, it looks like an airstrip. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's pretty neat. You know, the other interesting aspect for me this year, is this still recording? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. never, but you, but I, you can pretend like it's not. I've never used pacers ever. Right. Except for Oil Creek? I didn't use pacers at Oil Creek last year. Right. So this year was your first year for that? This year, well, Mike paced me at Bear Mountain. Uh, mm -hmm. Picked up Laura at mm -hmm. Burning River. And then... Um, um, did I pick up there for the last name? Matt. Matt, thank you. Matt Bertrand. And uh, Laura and Matt now at Oil Creek. So prior to this, I had ran every race completely sober. Completely. So to move into a different venue in the sense of sharing that experience was really new. Uh, and Almost all my training is solo. So I think it's easy for me to go into a race and do it solo because it's how I train. So I don't have any expectations of being pushed or pulled along with anybody or, or having that social outlet as part of the race experience. In the case of Burning River, there's no way that I would have been as successful as I was and pulled off the win without a pace, without pacers. I, I clear as a bell. Um, I, I believe that. In the case of Oil Creek, it's hard to say. Third was an hour and a half or an hour and forty-five minutes behind me. Um, but in both cases, I picked up the pacers right at the right times as far as my lowest points. Uh, and I'm interested to hear what Mike has to say. He said he learned more through pacing me in the 27 miles he did than in anything he's ever done. And I'm not sure exactly what learning he achieved through it. I'm curious. Um, two weeks prior to the race, we went down and ran the race course. And he said, our 27 miles in, in the woods, we ran faster than we did when we did that training run two weeks prior. You were both in better condition at that point. Well, I had left Mike behind two weeks before <laughs> waiting because I was concerned. Because there should be a release form when he <laughs> me. I do believe that. We seem to have the snack for getting each other in tight into difficult situations, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, you need growth. You need growth experiences. Yeah, so running today was just this you know, seven and a half miles that we did, but neither one of us was going to say the pace was too fast. And it's mm -hmm. a healthy respect to have for one another to know that neither one of us was working as hard as we could but we both knew that the pace was harder than it would have been if we had run independently. Mm -hmm. And that's...
That's one of the so that run that we did last Thursday <clears throat> at Lucy and Morin. Um, when I when I was running behind you guys, that's faster than I would have run by myself. But it wasn't hard, right? I was working harder than you were. Yeah, I was. I was going to say that for us was you know where Mike was at getting ready for for Water Gap. That was a relaxed run, and that mm-hmm. would have been the pace. If we were going to go out and, and bang out a, you know, a real long run on the trails, that was that pace. Mm-hmm. What we can maintain in a consistent way over distance for a long period of time. Right. Still a good pace, but just a right. nice, consistent, consistent run. Yeah, and I was able to do to do that without a problem. I probably could have did, you know, twelve miles at that pace without without any kind of explosion. Yeah, without feeling terrible and without like gasping and struggling. Um, so I was I was definitely working harder than you guys, but not not at threshold or anything like that. But I didn't have a sense that, that you were being dragged along. So yeah. it clearly wasn't. And so but then when I was in front, when we made a couple turns and I ended up in front, I was like, Okay, now how fast should I be running? Right, because now I'm gonna like I I don't know what effort I was just running at with them behind me. I'll try that. Am I running too fast? Am I running too? Because I knew you guys were gonna stick with me no matter what I was running. Right. But I couldn't find that pace, so that's when I stepped aside and I'm like, "You guys go back to running. I'm I'm gonna chase you instead of trying to set the pace because I wasn't I didn't know what that was, you know. And I think we've run together enough, Mike and I, that we know or able to tune in to what that is for each other. Mm-hmm. That being said, there are sometimes an unspoken testing ground going on. Um, and again, we're not really racing, but I think it just sort of happens. One time Mike came out to Buffalo, and I had run 10 miles prior to him getting there. And he came out, and I asked how far he wanted to go, and I forget what he said, 22 or something like that. And I wanted to get over 50K, so we were running roads. And... Um, so I pointed us in the right direction and said, okay, we're going to head this way. And he set the pace at about a 6.30 pace, which is okay. The, the challenge for me is once I have sort of cruise control dialed in, I have a hard time dialing back from that. Mm-hmm. And when we hit mile <coughs> 12 or 13, um, Mike really started to hit his own wall. And I was still set into that 6.30 pace and had a hard time adapting from that. You know, Mike probably was running 7.30 pace. It really wasn't that different. But I was so dialed into what had been set at that time um, that it was really hard to, to adjust. And that was one of those moments where I thought, there needs to be a release form here. There needs to be a release form. Because um, we were in the middle of the city, and, and he basically was like, leave me here, I'm done. No, not quite, but... Um, low on electrolytes, low on nutrition, and that's, you know, I know, Mike knows that's one of his growing edges, is he, he tends, unfortunately, to go into long runs, not really prepared to do long runs. Well, long runs at pace, yeah. at threshold. Yeah, at threshold, you know, do, do, them, do your runs fasting right. for the whole entire thing. So, you know, <laughs> we'll get out on a run and be double-digit deep into a run, 10 miles into a run, and he'll say, all I ate today was a banana. 
and we still have 20 plus miles to go. And you know, the crash comes because that's just not enough to sustain mm-hmm. to sustain on the body. Yeah, but that so that the idea I think we we got down this track talking about um this is your first year experimenting with the whole pacer idea, right? And so yeah. this is now running with people and you've run a, a couple races where with Mike where maybe you guys are starting to learn that that um the pace each other's going at different points in a run and stuff. Do you think that that's going to be part of next year? Like race? I think so. I I owe, I owe him for one thing. And I have never myself paced somebody and I need to see that side of it to appreciate it. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about a different person, but Laura Reckerth, I feel was trained to pace. She's an excellent athlete and she's got excellent results to her name, but as far as a pacer goes, she has this unspoken, um, and, and I've called her the wrecking crew. I think Ron called her the wrecking ball, but. Yeah, and I just call her the wrecker. The wrecker. That works. <laughs> so we got all three of them. Um, she has an unspoken way to pull me along. And I talked about it following Burning River, and I don't think that she really had mentally synthesized what it was that she was doing in the race. And once I had spoken of what she did in the race and how that pulled me along, I think she's basically made that her philosophy of pacing. I don't know that for sure. I've never talked to her about it. Um, But it's this, she's just going to start running and either... You're going to let her run away, and she's going to disappear into the woods, or you're going to pick your, pick up your feet and start going. And there are advantages and disadvantages of that. If you're in your really low place, yes, you need somebody to pull you along, but sometimes you need time to recover before you can really go again. Uh, and when I picked Mike up at Oil Creek, I had wondered if I hadn't been pushed a little too hard. Uh, however... The loop that Mike and I ran was one of the most consistent loops that there was. And so I have a hard time faulting the way that Laura pulled me through the front half of that course to get me to my connection to Mike. Um, Because when I got together with him, it wasn't as though the bottom fell out and I was spent. Um, So she has this nice, quiet approach, but it really is an approach which at points feels like I'm just going to run away from you and you have a choice. You can either let me go or you can keep me in sight. And um, with Burning River and I think with Oil Creek, I never wanted to show that I was weak. <laughs> Even though I may have felt weak, I didn't, I didn't want to show that, that I was not not capable. And some of that is among our peers... They do have a perspective of us. We know what you can do, right? Uh, And I've always wondered, in the midst of a 100-mile race, this must feel so terribly slow to these people who've decided to come out and pace me comparatively to what they they think of me. Uh, But I don't know. I've never said afterwards, was that just slow? Was that hard? Was that painful (laughs) for you to run through that experience or... It ended up being a good workout. And that may be something that you can only appreciate on the other side of being at the same 
the same mileage yourself in a race. Uh, so my seam from mile 75 through 100 in an, in an ultra, he knows what that feels like and what that looks like. Um, Laura's seen up to 100K, but she doesn't know what it's like from beyond that. So to mm -hmm. really be able to appreciate what somebody feels like beyond that 100k mark um maybe something that only experience can teach you well and maybe it is good i i thought when when i had heard that they were pacing you at um burning river i thought that that was excellent experience for them to see what you look like at mile 90 what's, no, what's, a, what's somebody what's a podium runner look like and, right and i know that's patting myself on the back but what's somebody who's Who's in the lead? You're in the, in the lead. you're in the very front of the race. This is somebody who's in the front of the race. So what's what's somebody who's in the front of the race look like? What do they feel like? What do they talk about? What do they sound mm -hmm. like? And contrasting that with knowing that she's been on twenty mile runs with you, yes. so she knows what you look like on a twenty mile training run. Right. You know, and she knows the word and that you're in first place and you look like a big sack right now, right? And so. Right that can give you some perspective for when you're actually there. So I thought that that would be really great experience as well. So if I could, if I could build, if I had enough money to build my Western States crew, <laughs> so I, I punched my lotto ticket, I'm in, I'm going to Western and I could take the crew that I want. You know, the automatic entry for me is I'm, I'm taking my dad for the nutritional experience there's cup and brew for you. You're, you're two back. That's no. microphone. <laughs> you're over here, my friend. Um, I take my dad for sure. That's the no-brainer uh, in me. And then after that, I would probably take the crew that largely I've been blessed to be around this year. Yeah. Back once you finish up your. Western States crew real quick. I wanted to ask you one more thing about pacing. I, I would I would take Laura, and I would take uh, Mike, and I would take Jamie, and that's provided that none of them themselves were in the race, and I could just... The chances of two of us from this area getting picked for the same year, I mean, then two sets of crews are going to Western you know, States. So. A, lot of, a lot of people to be able to take. And that's not trying to dismiss any of the other people that Kickstarter that I could think that I'd want to take yep. yourself and Matt. Oh yeah, well I mean we would we would all bring ourselves. I yeah. think that goes. I with wish us. I would have used Jeff in a different way at Oil Creek that I didn't. Yeah, I would have used him for the sections around the Drake Whale and the paved sections in and out of the high school. Yep. Instead, he stayed in his slippers all day, and so I didn't. Yep. Didn't employ his That's, skill set. That, that is his way. The most boring sections of that. Yeah. He'd be a guy for the nice, boring parts as well, I think. Um, so getting to that and, and thinking of you now have this group of people that are, are probably going to follow you to a large number of your ultras and be available around for pacing. Do you think you might do some sort of strategy where maybe you do a 20-mile run and then meet up with them for 10 miles and, and like practice and train with pacing, do you think that was a thing you would do, or would you just keep growing it organically like this? I think you'd have to. I, I think I would grow it organically. I'm not sure that you can plan pacing. I, I, I'm just not sure that you can. 
And if I was moving really well in a race, I know that any pacer that I've ever had would let me drop them and they would not feel bad about that at all. And I, and I would say it, I, you know, mm -hmm. I gotta go, I, I gotta go. Or I'd say, you, you gotta speed up more. This is, this is, uh, you know, slower than, than I'm wanting to move. So, um, it's similar in some ways, I think, to race nutrition. You can play with it a little bit in training, but nothing simulates a race like a race. Mm -hmm. It's just, there comes a point where you can't mimic it, you can't somehow figure out the hydration nutrition plan and, and play out that in a full form unless it's a race. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I've read plenty of runners and I suppose I myself have ended up in this camp which races with a frequency in some ways to test out all of the things for the true marquee races. So doing the marathons and the 50Ks to trial out the equipment or the nutrition or the hydration so that when you get to the 100Ks or the 100 miles, you've teased out a lot of the nuances of what works and what doesn't. So using the, the, the shorter, and I know that's relative, but the shorter races to figure that out. And training just doesn't do it. I, for whatever reason, I can go for a 50K training run with eight ounces of water and no nutrition and manage it fine, but you throw me in a 50K race and that would spell disaster. And that might be threshold running and how it taxes your glycogen different and so how you end up depleted faster, I don't know. But yeah. um, they're, they're two entirely different things. I don't think you could ever mimic a race fully and completely. Yep. Yeah. All right. So now that Mr. Weldon's here, we have, to, we have to get him talking so I can make sure that we hear him. So yeah. how was work today? It was good. <laughs> Did you sell some shoes? Barely. Barely. I had a half socket ride about a half hour ago, and an A6 GT2000. So I had like two customers all night. Hey, two two I'm clicks, two hits. So you got to work the vacuum machine. I should vacuum the hell out of that place. <laughs> we have acquired a vacuum that it's the first vacuum I've ever used that will actually suck its own cord up <laughs> if I run over it, um, and it happened twice. I, knew, I, I know you do have a passionate um, appreciation of the vacuum. But that Got to. Um, can you try over there real quick? Yeah. Over in your spot? Yeah. Because <laughs> my voice works farther than yours does, so you might but get that. Do you want the pop screen that's because so much you're, you're important? No, that's so much better. Okay. I feel like yeah. I'm on like MTV Unplugged or something, you know? Your cribs. Cribs. <laughs> Digging your socks, my man. Yeah, yeah, I think... We both scored a pair of those. These are great. Free med beds. Stealing your coaster. <clears throat> yeah, that way. Now you're hooked up. That sounds much better. Are we good? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, we've sort of dabbled a little bit in everything. Um, and we've been... I mean, you guys covered Burning River previously. Uh, no. no. Was that? Did you guys talk? Before, you talked before Burning River. Yeah, Your, we talked. We talked about time. Twisted Branch. 
Yeah. Oh, you're okay, after, yeah, yeah. Burning, after River. burning River. Okay. But we didn't really talk about Burning River. No, and so I think I did. You plenty did plenty of Burning River. You did a full thing on Burning River, yeah, yeah. and it was a good one. <clears throat> yeah, I enjoyed it. So we can do a, a few things. I mean, the issue is you just run too many damn races. So to say, to say we're going to cover <laughs> um, 100 miles of Burning River, 65 miles of Twisted Branch. 26 miles of Rochester, and then 100 miles of Oil Creek. We're talking, you know, 400 miles. Let's not forget Mike's uh, 31 miles of Delaware Water Gap, too. Oh, that's that's (laughs) going to be a special episode. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, I mean, and then, so that's the thing, like, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to find some sort of scope on this thing, but... um, I, I, you know, the 40 minutes that we have here, I bet we probably have 20 minutes of miscellany that we can put in that would be really nice because Devin, you know, didn't know we were recording and that's when the best things happen. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys want to do? Do you want to... My opinion is that Oil Creek is probably the most pressing matter. Yeah. Well, it's wanna, still relatively fresh. Do you want to relive um, Twisted Branch? Because we did a preview of Twisted Branch with you, so maybe we don't have to do a post-show, but, I mean, if you'd like... We can we can run it into Oil Creek in the sense of a trajectory from the conclusion of one briefly glancing on Rochester mm-hmm. Marathon and then to Oil Creek. Okay. That's kind of what I would recommend. Alright, that sounds better to me. Um, and then yeah, we can spend most of the time on Oil Creek that was- Um Twisted Branch. So, was it was it all that so everybody can go back and listen to your pre Twisted Branch thoughts? Did I ever see you at Twisted Branch? I don't think I did. Once. Where was it? I don't first, 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 yeah, yeah first. Okay, yeah, because I was standing with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it took longer than I expected it to. Uh, there were parts that were as technical as technical gets. Um, you know, running down shale stream beds that were dry or running up them. So you can't get more technical than that than that kind of stuff. Um, I had expected about a 10-hour finish and um, crossing in 11 hours and 45 minutes. It was a shock. Um, and I knew going into about the 50-mile aid station, 54-mile aid station, that it was taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. Um, so I have a lot of respect for that course, and it did set me up well. In some ways, that was my hill training, if I could put it that way, for mm-hmm. Oil Creek. I mean, that was getting my vertical in. Uh, I started off in the lead, and I finished in the lead. So essentially, I ran the whole race in front. I never... I never really saw another person after I left the start line. Pretty quickly, I was alone, and I was alone the whole time. Scotty was only 20 minutes back. He wasn't unreasonably far back, and there were times where, you know, I certainly thought that somebody might be breathing down my shoulder, but I never saw another runner pretty much after we left the start line. So I I ran it alone. Um... And finished it, and, and um, body-wise, 
was pretty beat up from the experience, but nothing was injured. It didn't come away with any any injury, and so just tried to recover well. And largely, this was following the plan from the year before that had led to an Oil Creek victory. So I essentially looked at what I had done in training the year before and said, how do I mimic this to, to repeat at Oil Creek? That was really kind of what was in the back of my head and thinking out things from the beginning of August through to Oil Creek. And so this fit with what I wanted to accomplish in training. I know that sounds a little weird to run a 65-mile race as part of training, but it fit with testing the body and being far enough out to allow recovery and, um, and, to, and to gauge where I was at. So it was, uh, I, I, I hope that, I hope that the cutoffs are kept as hard as they currently are because I think this, that's going to keep this race, Twisted Branch, being one of the most difficult races in our region. Uh, and I really don't want to see them soften it. I think that's what gives it its respect and, and to have a winning time of 11 hours and 45 minutes is, that's, that expresses a lot about the course. So, I guess it was three weeks later, I'm trying to think how many weeks, I guess about three weeks I ran the Rochester Marathon. I did that the year before. I pulled out a win at Rochester Marathon. Honestly, it was a fluke on, on you know, they're much faster runners. Kips is a great marathon runner. I'm not Kip, I don't run marathons like Kip, but I will never run marathons like Kip, but uh, he wasn't there last year and he was there this year. Uh, so I didn't go into this year thinking I was I was going to win. Fleet Feet was nice enough to offer me a comp entry, being race winner last year, provided that I touted up the Rochester Marathon and all of its glories. And, and uh, you know, I did try to do my part in saying that I was running it. And, um, the new course is, I've heard a mixed bag of reviews. Um, I'm not convinced this is the best way yet to hold the marathon in Rochester. Um, I think you could use part of this course to really highlight Rochester. There are pieces like the boardwalk over the river. I think a lot of people love that. But to do a double loop course on a marathon, uh, I think is, is not the best way to highlight the city. We didn't go past some of the key things that make Rochester uniquely Rochester the George Eastman House or um, you know, Down East Avenue and uh, you know, Mount Hope Cemetery past the University of Rochester, things that really are quintessentially Rochester and didn't even go, in, go anywhere near them. The, while we were on the Genesee River, we never went anywhere near the canal. The Erie Canal is part of Rochester and while we spent a lot of the former race on the Erie Canal, not being on it at all probably didn't highlight it. A, an essential piece of what Rochester is and what Rochester has. So I'm not convinced the course really is the greatest example of what a marathon course could be in Rochester. I ran an okay marathon, wasn't my best, wasn't my worst. Um, I wasn't, you know, greatly pleased with the result, but I also wasn't horribly disappointed. I think the one thing that I will say concerning it is I think it is cruel and unusual
punishment to declare something to be a marathon and have it be longer than a marathon. Um, My grandmother stopped all those talks. For everybody that's trying to qualify for Boston, to have to run a quarter of a mile longer pretty much puts you, for some, that puts them out of the like region. Two and a half minutes, yeah. I mean, at that point, I mean, not only that, but to qualify for Boston, you have to beat the standard by yeah. Like now, apparently, minutes. now you have to be. So you have to be you know. better than just the qualifying yeah. time. But if you're really looking at that being your goal, Rochester has now eliminated itself from being a legitimate race to consider because it's longer than twenty six point two, twenty six point two six five. But anyway, and also now with the elevation, they went from being the one of the nation's top ten best races to qualify from Boston to out of that running completely. Does it highlight some of the aspects of the city better? I suppose so. But it also, at the same time, takes out some of the aspects that used to exist. Going down East Avenue, past the Eastman House, coming up through Corn Hill, through the University of Rochester. Those are gone now. Um, but I ran a respectable race, and my body recovered well. And again, that was all just part of, that's what I'd done the year before, and so that's how I wanted to set up for Oil Creek. And uh, a, a week later, so I followed the same training plan. A week later, the year prior, I'd gone down on a Friday and run a full loop at Oil Creek, which is about 25 miles. And then uh, the day later, I ran uh, 20, 22 miles with Mike up here in Rochester looping together a whole bunch of parks, Tryon and three parks. We looped together three parks. Ellison, Tryon, and Lucian Morin. Right. Um, and that climb on, uh, was it Browncroft? I think yeah. it wraps around the backside of Ellison. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So I sort of wanted to repeat the same thing. So how, how, do I, how do I repeat essentially a 25-miler and a 20-miler, 22-miler? as the last big, long, back-to-back chunked weekend. So did it in reverse this year, ran a 22-miler on Friday, and then Mike came to my house, stayed the night, and then we went to Oil Creek, we went down to Titusville and ran a full loop on Saturday, so ran 25 miles on that day, and then started my taper into Oil Creek. Um, And everything's been pretty good. I've had, if I could be quite honest, a little pain in my ass that has not gone away for a while, but it seems on trails to, to be better than when I run hard hard roads as far as what's going on. I don't know if it's sciatic nerve or whatever. I just kind of put up with it. I'm still able to pace things out, and it doesn't, doesn't seem to affect my stride or my pacing, but it's present, and I know it's there. Um, it went into Oil Creek, um, and originally Mike was going to ride down with with my folks and I, with my dad, my mom and I, to Oil Creek, and he couldn't wiggle out of work. And so my parents and I went down uh, on our own early and um, got in at Oil Creek. And you cannot, you can't pick up your number until 5 because they use the high school and they have to wait until all the high school activities are done. And so um, we kind of, tinkered around town for a little bit and then went out to the hotel and, you know, napped and laid around, got got vertical, got the legs up. 
and I wanted to get into race headquarters basically at five, get my stuff and get out. Uh, there's an aspect of hanging around packet pickup that's really psychological as you start looking at everybody and everybody looks fit, everybody looks primed to race, and it's hard not to get into your own head and end up psyched out somewhat. So I just wanted to get in and get out. Um, and so we did. We were there right around 5 o'clock, got in, got my stuff, uh, got the microwave from my friend Clyde, who was running the 100K. I know that sounds silly, but there wasn't a microwave in the room. He brought a microwave from home so I could eat my oatmeal in the morning. It's part of the pre-race ritual. Got to make moves. Yeah. Um, and, and went back out to the hotel. And it was a golf course, and they had like a banquet dining facility, so we ate dinner out there, so I didn't have to go anywhere else. There was no more traveling in the car, no more sitting around in the car. And so after we finished dinner, just retired to the hotel room. And Laura and uh, Jeff showed up. Um, I said, there's room here, there's plenty of room in the hotel room. I think they were going to try to, like, I don't know, camp out her mini. I can't even imagine. I think they said Not they possible. were sleeping, sleeping at the high school. At the gym. They mentioned you the, could sleep in the, the gym. gym at one point, and then I was like, well, from what I gathered, there's going to be room. Um, and I started texting was. him and said, hey, there's, there's room for you all here. So they showed up first. Mike wasn't too terribly far behind. Um, I made decent time. Made decent time. And so every everybody everybody was was in the room before ten o'clock at night, and uh, you know crashed out, got up, got ready for the race. And I knew going into the race that I wasn't quite as strong as last year. Last year I just had done more hills, and I I just was in a different place. That's not to say that I was weak, that I was unprepared. I was prepared. Uh, I, you know, I was right. I, again, I raced well, but I knew I just wasn't quite as strong as I was the year prior. I had done a lot more intentional hill work the year prior. You raced less, I think, last year. I raced less, and yeah. So some of the training again was just more hill specific. Things, things I just like, really got out there. And, I mean, having, in my opinion, having another hundred, you know, a couple months ago, hundred k after that, that was equivalent to a lot of hundreds um takes a toll yeah you uh, had said that you were recreating your walk up to oil creek but i don't i don't think that there was a hundred miler in your walk up to oil creek last year yeah. no um so you must have I mean, started last year that. last year you broke your leg early Early. Yeah, it's like April, I think you were out. Yeah, so I didn't get back to training until mid-June, I think. So yeah. you might have been fresher. I might have been. Yeah. You know, yeah. there is a lot of that, 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 again, analysis being what it is. Um, it, when I come to the end of my season, I can look back over the whole scope of it and say, what did I do wrong, what did I do right, what would I repeat, what would I never repeat. Um but I ran from the front, from the start. And some of that has to do with running with a headlamp. It's really hard to stand behind somebody with a headlamp, to really just be looking at their feet on technical trail. It's much easier in some ways just to go ahead and run your own race. 
And everybody is very reluctant. It's almost like gun shyness at the start to, to be the person in front. I wasn't running hard. I was trying to use the philosophy of if I feel like I'm running hard, I'm running too hard, so it needs to be easy, it needs to be gentle, it needs to be consistent. And, um, and, it, and it felt that way. I know that course well. I ran through it well. Um, you know, checked through the, the aid stations well. Ran the first loop really well. It was slower than the year prior. You know, running through the 50K mark, um, I saw the time and I was behind where I was the year prior, which was even easier for me to accomplish the year prior. So that's kind of how I knew that the, there was a different, whether it was rest or whether it was um, training, I was just in a different place last year. The second loop, which takes me up to 100K, that would probably have been, the, the back half of that would have been my lowest points. So the first half of that was just 13 miles. So 50K plus another 13. Went fine. Uh, and I remained in the lead through that. Um, and then in that back half, that's when I got caught. Probably just after about 50 miles, I think, is when first the person who ended up getting first passed me. And I stayed on him for about another 10 miles. So we stayed together, pretty glued together for another 10. He was running real good, walking all the uphills. He just he clearly had his strategy for how he was taking apart the course. Different than my strategy, and for a while, I essentially ran, exact, ran and walked exactly as he did. And I don't know if that was the best thing. I just decided, I'm just going to kind of sit in his shadow and do whatever he does. Um, and the disadvantage is you don't run your own race or you don't do your own race strategy. You're doing somebody else's thing. So he walked stuff that I would have never walked. Um, it worked for him. Yeah. So Obviously. At that point, um, for those um, that aren't familiar with the, the points where you see crew or pick up pacers, um, what had transpired along this way? So you 63, you said, starts to be your low point. So you see crew only twice each loop. Each loop is 50K long. So you see crew in a 50K loop. You see them at about half marathon increments, so about 13 miles, 13 or 14. And you see them again at the end of 50K. And that's the case with every consecutive loop after that. Um, so there's only two places where you can have crew. Between crew, there is a full aid station. And between every full aid station, which each full aid station is about seven miles or so, is a self-serve water stop. So essentially every three, three and a half miles, you at least have hydration. And every seven, you've got nutrition and hydration. And every 13, you have full crew. So it's pretty limited in the sense of the frequency w with which you can see people. And the back half of the course is not, not a simple 13. It's like 17.5 yeah. or something like that. And that was why, I mean, there was some, um, and while we're on this, there was like when you first came through uh, in the lead and we were tracking your lead um, and then monitoring second place, third place, fourth, fifth, and so forth. Um I think it was like unclear to a lot of us that it was, and I should have known better because I'd run the thing with you two weeks ago, but um, that it was 13 and then 17. So when the second time we saw you was like 
40 minutes slower than the first one. There was some, mostly your mom and I, I think, were like, oh, man, here we go. But the lead, I mean, first lead came through six minutes, second one was 12, so you grew a lead right. on the first loop. Second loop came through, and the lead had been cut to eight, I think, six maybe. And then at the 100K mark... Uh, it, it swapped to be about eight minutes ahead. Yeah, we saw what we thought was you coming out of the across the bridge, and it ended up being him, because we, we had like a vantage point where we could see really far away um, and couldn't make out quite who it was. But then, you know, in that time somewhere, he had taken the lead. And it was short at that point. It was a few minutes, uh, but then it grew a bit. Um, I think the longest it had gotten was between 45 minutes and an hour. Yeah. And I really thought on that third full loop, there was a good chance once I pissed, picked up my paker, picked up my pacer, so I picked up Laura, that we were making up ground. So was surprised when we didn't end up actually making ground. And, and again, that's a testament to, <coughs> to him. He, he was running a great race. He was taking apart well. Because honestly... I was running, we were running a great race too. We, yeah. we were taking apart that course well, and I really did believe that we were going to see the back of him. He was wearing a, a, a double quiver hydration pack, and you know, once I picked up Mike, every time, especially once we turned on headlamps, we kept expecting every person we came upon to be that person with the double, much, yeah. double quiver on, and and that would, that would be it. That well, would be the moment. There was a the guy before you picked up Laura, the guy at the aid station told you that that he was 40 minutes ahead of you, and I, was, I just counted it, and he was 17 right. minutes up, and I was like, well, now there's misinformation on the course, uh, you know, whatever. So we had, you know, when I stepped in, he was only up, he was up less than 20 minutes, right. um, and we started running really well right off the bat. We climbed for a minute. Walk. We climbed. We, we walked through the climb out of the, out of A two. It's a big, which, probably the biggest climb on the course. I think it's the biggest climb. Out and of the talked through the strategy. Talked where we're at. Like once we finished that climb, we ran consistently the entire race. Pretty much the entire race. Yeah. Walked out of not walked out of A three, but once we got to Cemetery and Rockefeller, we we walked those two. Every big hill has some wonderful name. Um, walked those two names. Named name climbs. That would be about it. We pretty much ran almost everything, and so yeah. I was surprised to hear that we had made more of a a chip into the lead. I really felt like we were gonna we were gonna catch. We yeah, I was. Catch. I mean, I was really blown away by it because we did. There was literally like we were, you know, and I equated it to my race at Burning River, which was, you know, not the same because that was my first hundred, and I'm, you know, I'm not. Um, was not trained as you know meticulously as as you for Oil Creek, but we ran. So the clock tolls. <laughs> like the, the Undertaker. You are not w, trained. WWF. Yeah, right. There is this story. This is me dying a burning river. Well, there's this Stephen King story. The I forget what it's called. It's called something like the race, and if you fall behind a four minute pace, they kill you. And the point is to be the last person standing, and they become sort of the champion. It's almost Hunger Games-ish, but it's basically like an ultra marathon. Nice. 
Now everybody's got to read Stephen King. <laughs> I, I actually have read quite a bit of Stephen King. I've not read that one, but I've read... It's called The, the Walk, The Walk yeah. or The Race. I'm going to have to peek at that because I've read quite a bit. Um, but... Uh, but we're, yeah. Yeah, back so to... let, let me try to piece this together real yeah. quick. So you... Uh, you're doing fine up to about 63. You get past at 63. You pick past about 50. Okay. So when I come into the 100K mark, I'm in second at that. Okay. Point. So that's when you pick up Laura's 100K. Yes. Okay. So then you pick up Laura. You run with Laura for a while. For 13 miles. Back 13. Okay. Excuse me to A2. Okay. Which is crucible. So that so that's 76, and that's when you pick up Mike for the last 25. Which is the twenty-five that he's run with you previously? So well, there was actually piece of that yeah, there's a going home loop that right, I saw it all different. in the dark, so it was yeah. you know, it didn't matter anyways. But okay. yeah, but, so we, the hills that we hit, I was really surprised by it because I didn't know what the end of a hundred mile from like an elite standpoint looked like. So I was kind of eager to see you know what happens when you're that good of a runner and you're seventy-five miles into a race. And as it turns out, you run. You know, it wasn't like a burning river when. Jamie and I are out there, and I'm just like, you know, dying in a cornfield or something. Uh, oh, see, I would walk. That's um, see, this has been my curiosity, and I know but, that I have expressed it in, in a text to Mike. Is, is Mike said, I've learned more through this experience of the 25 or 27 miles that I've run with you than I have so much before. And I thought, what the heck have you learned? I don't, I don't, I don't know what the learning. Well, I learned that you, that you run. Like I think about, and I, I learned that from from watching Jamie at Twisted Branch too, and again at Laurel. Where, but at the same time, like Laurel was a big learning experience for him, and where there was a considerable amount of walking when it was necessary. Uh, he ran really well when he ran, but it was different at Oil Creek where we ran everything. Like there was two climbs, I think, that were. They didn't make sense to run. Right, but just a little while ago, he said the eventual winner was walking. And he was walking, but... Where Dobbin would have run. Well, that was why I was surprised that we hadn't made up more of a lead, because we were, like, the guy that won had to have started running those climbs at some yeah, point. right. Because our pace was quick. We were, we were moving at a really good pace, uh, especially... I, I will when, say this for him, based on my observation, and try to mimic his pattern, is he walked power height, whatever you want to call it, really well yeah and there does come that point at which you have to train to be able to do it effectively and efficiently but secondly you have to kind of know when it's not worthwhile to continue running and to start walking and that's a hard thing to discern and nine times out of ten for myself i actually am less aerobic running than i am walking which may mean that I just need to train more in the power hiking walking category. Um, but I can start to do that and end up far sweatier, for example, than if I just stayed running. <coughs> There's also the point to be made that at least all day when I had the opportunity to watch this kid, um, Cop, Nicholas Cop was his name. I can stop referring to him as the kid. Uh, the kid. I'm sure he's a great guy, but he's 23, so he's the kid. The kid was third at Twisted Branch. His um, <laughs> the, the kid. These children that come into the scene and start destroying everybody, and ruining our lives. Uh, his aid station stops were non-existent. Just in and out. He, he looked. He looked terrible coming through the first few times. Then he started to look really good, but he never. 
burned any time. He just came through. And uh, that, you know, we watched where that, you know, I watch, I look at Burning River and I look at my moving time, which was like 21 hours, versus my race time, which was 23 hours. And I'm like, it's really easy to get wrapped up in killing time at aid stations. And this kid just did not do that at all. So whether or not he, you know, power hiked or ran or whatever, um, he was very, very efficient, especially for, you know, we stalked him immediately out of the gate. We we actually, you know, posted up so that we would hear him call his name out when he came in. And then I got up on ultra sign-up, I find the results, I make an assessment, we seem fin- I can run 100 miles, Do you guys- but I can't figure out, like, a bottle opener. It's got a magnet right Yeah, now. it's just to hold the... What is this thing? It's supposed to open bottles, but heck if I can figure it out. That it's like the Mizuno one. You just gotta, you gotta. Here. You gotta keep tweaking. I got it. this. Yeah. Over the leather couch. Yeah. Oh, look at this guy. I like the magnet though. Professional. Well, I'll just. I guess it's professional indeed. Well, no, Mizuno Matt Duncan gave us bottle openers one year, and they were very much like this. Gotta, like, where you really pull. tweak on it, man. Yeah, like, I mean this one's a little more dramatic, but you gotta pull back. Whew, I saw it. the pull back, but that's a. I mean, you're doing it on a glass table. I, I once heard... Stam German this, Engineering this, is this what guy, it is. This um, guy, I really respect him. He's a great runner. His name's Mike Weldon. <laughs> <laughs> and he talked about, um, you know, it's basically going to hurt if you run or you walk, so you may as well run. Yeah. And, and there is some truth to be had for that, but sometimes your body actually will not let so you run. I, I asked you I've noticed this, that, too. Well, I asked you guys this on Tuesday. I said, you know, because... I was like, I feel like on those shorter training runs, I should just run all the hills. But I also was finding that I could walk the hills and stay up with you. And I'm like, but should I? Okay, so I've done that. I sh- I'm trained to power hike the hills kind of fast. Yep. So now should I switch that to learn how to train to run these hills during those shorter training runs? And that would probably <coughs> take me later. You should I. Running the hills, I think, even when you don't have to on a training run, I think can make all the difference, even if you're not going to run them in the race. But I think, right. I mean, I, th- I think about that in regards to, like, the men in 50K. So many people walk these hills that they don't need to be walking. I think you should run. It's a 50K. If you can run yes. it, run the damn thing. Like, there's, yes. I mean, there's so many people that I see walking up these hills and that you lose a ton of time. And, yes. uh, you know, well, guilty as charged. so long that it really requires. Right. I mean, maybe going up Bob Run. Yeah, there's maybe two hills that are so the, uh-huh. the grade is steep enough to where it doesn't make sense to actually run it during a race. But out there by the dog kennels gets crazy yeah. steep. That's kind of stupid to try to run it. But honestly, walking it isn't going to do you much better because the traction yeah. is so crap yeah. that trying to walk it is kind of a traction trap. Yeah, um, you can burn you pull a hamstring trying to run it. Right, something. right. Um, so I think like there's a benefit. There's a cardio benefit to blowing up those hills, right? If you're doing, yeah. like, a nice tempo workout and you're getting... Yeah. That's what hill repeats are. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, learning how to hike those at speed is also useful. But maybe you should save those for your longer training runs where you're trying to keep your heart Save those down. for when you're walking your damn dog. Right, Go to the right. park and walk up a hill with... The, I mean... But, so, so but what the, if you're so trying big, to keep so your big, heart rate low on, yeah. on a 50 no, yeah, train? Yeah, I get what you're so saying. So the big 25-mile yeah. runs that I do, a full loop at Oil Creek, or when I came out and ran the three parks with Mike, part of what was in my mind is I have to run slash walk, whatever it is, exactly what I need to do in a 100-mile <clears> run. That last 
long book that, that weekend, two weeks out, was my race strategy weekend. Whatever I run this weekend needs to feel like I want to do at the race itself. It can't be harder than that, and it can't be easier than that. It needs to be what I want to feel in the race. And there is a point when you're really getting into those long runs close to the race where you do have to strategize the race itself. How do I want the race to play out? How am I going to let it play out? So that way when you get in the race, you you do that. You actually you know, have already committed to that plan in your head through training. But doing it throughout the brunt of training, you know, no, I run every hill in training, probably up to the point where I'm getting so close to the race that I'm really trying to break apart. Okay, it's a 100-mile run. You can't run a 100-mile run even like going out and training a 50K one day and a marathon the next day. It's a 100 miles. Nothing mimics that like being in the race. And you're going to get low at some point. I don't care how well trained you are and who you are. You can be Rob Carr, and I guarantee that still he hurts. Well, I mean, that's why hurt. people. That's why we do the sport. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not you. Can, if you don't feel bad during a hundred mile, or you're not an ultra runner, you haven't transcended that sort of like shitstorm of emotions where, like, I want you know, what, like Mike Arnstein said, ultra running could be five miles long. If at mile three you want to die, but you keep going. Both years at Oil Creek, um, I've had the same consistent experience. The worst pain that I've been in is after the first 50K. The worst. And most people think that's ludicrous to think that you're only, you're less than a third into something and you're in the, the worst place you can be in. But at the end of that first 50K, it's, there really is that question about whether one has the capacity to continue and... and what I've come back to again and again, and I've only had 300-mile races, but is there comes a point at which your body has been rebelling against you long enough, telling you to stop, and you've said no, that it finally stops saying stop. Mm-hmm. Because all you've done for hours is go. And so it just stops saying, hey, you should stop, this hurts. And suddenly, you know, you want to call it the second wind or whatever else, it becomes a lot easier. But, you know, when you reach that marathon 50K distance, that's when the body is, I think, rebelling at its biggest point. Okay, you've gone far enough. Let's just call it quits. Let's, let's be done with this. It's saying no. And when you finally breach past that, you find that your body and your mind is capable of so much more than what it originally tells you is the threshold of your ability. Right, and I wonder I wonder if uh, Mr. Cop, he's not the kid, he's, he's a mister now. Nicholas. I wonder if Mr. Cop went the opposite way, which is the first two-thirds his body was comfortable and then he blasted it for oh, the last looked, third. He looked absolutely tragic. Coming in the first couple times. Right, and so he was like, yeah. oh, I got it. I was like, like this is a kid, and he blew up already, right. and this is going to be an ugly day. And then he just started getting cleaner, right. fresher. So maybe he just Looked like contained. he might have taken a shower at some point. Maybe he contained he just, himself. And... He did, yeah. He was, Could have. I mean, he ran you know, a smart he race. Had, he had, I was using just one eight-ounce <clears> bottle. He had two big... 20 ounces. 20 ounces. So he didn't need to refill in intermediate aid stations. Yeah. Maybe that was a smart move. I don't know. Yeah, the other thing could have. He been was only filling halfway though. I did hear him say when he came through, way. he's like, "Fill my bottles half full." Yeah, because that's forty ounces of water. That's yeah. a lot. Only, he, only people like me haul that much water. 
Like we've never, I don't think either of us ever really ran out. I I think we might have liked random coming into an aid station, but there is something to be said for being somebody who's had the privilege of being in the lead of a race and won a race. When you get to a certain point in the race and you're still in the lead, it is his own incentive that drives you Mm -hmm. to such a degree that you accomplish things that if you were not in the lead, you could never do. Um, I'm not discrediting what he did, but I wonder as he came through, was in the lead for the going home loop, if he wasn't driven in some ways by that last seven miles, because he was in the lead. He only had seven miles to go in a hundred mile run. He was twenty two years old, and this was the race of his life. Yeah, yeah. And the guy that finished second to you last year could be saying the same thing. Yeah, like I thought I had that guy, and then you know. yeah, I re- I couldn't believe that. I mean, this that could somehow manage to grow the lead while we were on the, the list. I thought that the last eight miles that we ran was some of the best running I've ever seen, and we've trained a lot together, and we ran. Or in good consistent Fast as hell for the... Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it was completely mind For that, for that deep into a race. I mean, you're, yeah. you're 92 plus <clears throat> miles in a race. There was nothing... You know, I couldn't... I was like, okay, we'll run this. Because it, eventually my goal became... I noticed that we were coming into aid stations behind schedule from what you were at last year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, even if we can't make up this lead, let's get a PR. Let's get a course PR. Let's get a distance PR. And let's just take care of that. And then it became abundantly clear to me, at, like, the going home loop, basically. Let's get back out there, and we can shave a half hour off of this, which felt really good, you know, being, um, considering where we had gotten to it. It got dark before we got to aid three this year, when you had said last year that you had gotten there, and it was still light out. And it was kind of like, I don't know, we, we had some work cut out for us, and I just I thought that the performance was amazing, and really it was surprising to me that that kid gave no ground up at all. Yeah, but, but you did accomplish the goal. Oh my God, yeah, it was such an amazing accomplishment still. I mean, it's, you know, when you're fit to finish in first place and then you take second, I'm sure it's easy to to lose sight of what the actual accomplishment was, but it's a huge PR, it's a, a huge accomplishment still, and it's, you know, it's totally awesome to have been a part of it. Um, How did you get the um, microwave back to your body? Um, Is it still in your hotel room? No. <laughs> no. Um, both, so the year prior, um, both of my friends that I, I run in a club, Bonds Lake Athletic Club, um, out of Niagara County. And I go up there and train because the Niagara Escarpment offers hills, honestly. That's <clears throat> one of the ways that I got it connected into there. And Clyde, um, who is the old, wise sage of the ultra runners among us, um, was the one that had discovered and been a part of Oil Creek since its inception. And so that's how I ended up at Oil Creek, and he's the one with the microwave. So he's he was the oldest finisher of the 100K last year at 62. Is he really that old? Yeah. Well, to guess it. Um, and and Sean last year, who is 40, he was 41 last year, um, finished the 50K, and it was one of his best finishes that he'd ever had in his life. So last year I won the 100-miler, and Clyde 
um, finished 100K and, and Sean finished the 50K. So all of us had a finish in one of the races. And so this year was sort of a we're returning to our glory. Mm-hmm. And so I was going back to the 100 miler. Clyde was going back to the 100K. And Sean, we had said, had to step up to the 100K. He could no longer be allowed to be in the, <laughs> in, in the kiddie pool in the 50K race. Um, so Clyde, I guess, suffered a fall in the first loop of the 50K, six miles into the race. And um, he's had surgery yeah. on his knee before. Like totally tore MCL or something. Yeah, totally like tore his ACL, banged up his knee. Still finished the 50K loop. Bleh. So finished 24 <clears throat> miles on it, banged up. Came to the start finish, said, I'm going to drop. Um, Dad sat with him for a while, and he said, I'm going, I'm going back out. Felt good after sitting down, getting some nutrition, but made it to a one in Wolfkill. And Wolfkill, when you go down into Wolfkill, it's nasty hills down, hard on knees. And he got down there, and he could climb fine, but going down was really hard. So he 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 uh, bailed out of the race. The, the funny thing is, then he walked the bike trail back to the start finish. So it wasn't like he bailed and just waited for you know the sag wagon to come get him sometime. He then proceeded to walk four miles back to the start finish. Sean made it through mile forty one ish, I think. Yeah, he was looking really good actually at fifty k. Um, Sean's a bigger guy. Yeah. Um, but was looking good, but unfortunately ended up having bad stomach issues. Couldn't hold down nutrition. Which is kind of par for the course, right? Par for the course. He has these problems regularly, but he was running pretty good and picked up a pacer. And um, yeah, so, I, read, I read his race report. It was very entertaining. Yeah. So I kind of <clears throat> felt like um, here, here we were all going back to relive the year prior, and I was the only one left in the race after a hundred k, basically. Um, so you can't go home again, that's what they say, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a different, different day, different different time, different year. Um, and that was okay. It ended up, they, they were at the finish line to be able to be there to cheer me in and didn't seem downtrodden in any way as they celebrated my, my coming in. And I had said to Mike, I had said to Sean Pryor that if if I was... If I could manage to finish, um, then I had every intention of giving my buckle this year. My dad has managed me in nearly every race. I was going to cross that finish line when I got that buckle. I was going to give it to my dad. I already had an Oil Creek buckle. He needed his buckle. He had been out there just as much as I had. And so um, I think we were on the going home loop. Maybe it was before then when I said to Mike, we're going to finish this thing. And he said, yeah, we are. And I said, I, I'm going to give this buckle to my dad when I get it. And I think Mike said something like, that's awesome. And we just kept running in silence after that. Um, and I did that. And I don't think it sunk in with my dad when I gave it to him. It was kind of like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm, this is yours. Mm-hmm. This is your buckle. So... Um, you know, it's a great race. I, I, as far as course marking, race directing, um, aid stations, Pennsylvania is not a state that I think necessarily I would say understands ultra running, but somehow they managed to put on a great show. 
and a whole town shows up that doesn't understand this insanity that we're doing. Yeah. I think that the, the course is the best marked I've ever seen, especially in terms of nighttime running. Very reflective, almost impossible to mess it up. Uh, and I can mess up, you know. <laughs> I, I left my laptop on top of a car <laughs> over the weekend and I got five miles down the road oh, and God. got hit by a truck. Uh, so I'm, I'm good at being bad at life. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's an ideal. Uh, course for a lot of people. I think that you know someone like Jamie Hobbs. I think would do amazing as a first hundred miler Oil Creek. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's well suited. He's technical to, to his enough, strengths. but yet also manageable enough. And he's he's paced the hundred k there, and I think he he knows you know obviously what it's all about. But I you know I thought about that a lot when I was doing. I don't think it's well suited for me to do a hundred miles of it at this point. But I think that's more just because I want to do something faster. Um, and I'm not really quite at that level yet, but uh, had a, definitely had a good time. Aid station is great. The gymnasium thing is amazing. Being able to go in there and sleep all day was amazing. Uh, there's toilets, and that's really cool. Um, they're, they're For everywhere. a town to totally basically liquidate their useful. middle school so, and give it up to a bunch of stinky runners. Yeah. For a so it's really year. good. It's really good for homeless people to yeah, crew for the. Really race. good for a guy like me. No, uh, I was not saying that. I was saying if you if you happen to have. Are someone, you talking about the the TH or the Titus well, logo? It's basically my my theory where if I can wear two and a half inch splits with a bib on and just show up to races for the rest of my life, I can live off that food. The Titusville hobo. Yeah, I'm a pacer. I need to. Well, yeah. Which goes it has, and, has a totally different story. It, it is like let's talk about pacing for a minute. Really, like I don't know if it was just me, but. I remember getting to, what was the first day of the station I hit? It was like mile three, four, maybe. And I ate 15 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That was mile seven. Seven, yeah. okay. And I was seven. like, I don't, yeah, I was like, whatever, I got to fuel up. I just burned <laughs> 700 calories. Better replace than that. And I, and I just went to town, and it was, it was great. And I just, you know, I handled the race like that where there's food everywhere. <laughs> nearly, and, uh, co- nearly cost you the win there. <laughs> He handled it like a hobo. Yeah. Wait a minute, there's food and it's free? And as long as I have a pacer's bib, I'm allowed to eat it? Pulled out his knife and opened up the can of beans that he had in his pocket. It was awesome. But um, so he got so embarrassed out of the number of peanut butter and jellies he ate at one point that he like walked away so his back was to the table so they couldn't Yeah, there was a bunch of like high school cross country girls <laughs> like gossiping about my hair and my my hat. And uh, awesome they were like hair. giggling, and I was like, "Are they? Do they think I'm fat? Because I had like, <laughs> I had like ten sandwiches in my hand, and I was like, what are they talking you're, about?' You're so vain. I got you really have such fabulous hair. It was like yeah, instead of so being vain. Edward Scissorhands, hands, it was like Edward's peanut butter. And yeah, jelly peanut hands. butter and jelly hands. I got really self conscious for a minute, so I turned my back. And, and then, then I started running. Dobbin's like, I was like, are you coming? He's like, you're coming with me or no? And I was <laughs> like, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. exactly. Like, hundred people, Ralph, yeah. Like back to class, girls. Uh, so you got so you got your carb loading done. So oh, you got, got up the up. trail, and he's like, "Too bad you get the ten thousand calorie burn." And meanwhile, I'm eating the ten thousand. Well, that was the problem. I was like, "Hey, you got this deficit to work with," and I just gained weight. Your deficit happened then, six days before. Yeah, but on a far more serious note, like I, um, and I don't want to jump like too far ahead to 
No, we finished the race twice already. To the following week, because I, I think it'll be, you know, it'll be good to talk about this water gap thing at some point, and could take, you know, a half hour to do so, and we don't need to do that right now, but I learned, and somehow I'd, I'd been avoiding this reality and this lesson all year, and I, even for more than a year, um, back to last, probably the Menden 50K last year, I ran the first loop with Jamie, and we ran it really hard, and then... I let Jamie go after I fished through his drop bag and took a few things. Um, I think there was, I don't even remember <laughs> what it was, but he was like, yeah, man, help yourself. Uh, anyways, so, um, and he continued to run hard. He had a really awesome day that day. Uh, Dobbin and I both had the worst days of our life, probably. That was the worst race uh, of my life. Both of us almost died. Whatever. We did. No big deal. Um, I looked back, and then Jamie to Laurel, and then, you know, Bear. Um, Bear Mountain, and, and I've, I've been watching this all year, and somehow I've been missing the the reminder of, of what it means to be um, decent at this stuff. And I I picked that up last week when I was running, and I I thought about Jamie and Dobbin and um, what it was like to run with them and like get into that gear that. Uh, that, that nobody else there really has, and to kind of stay in it regardless of how much it sucks. And suddenly, you know, reeling in 60 people, and it's like, every time you go by these people, and it's like, okay, I'm not just going to pass this person, I'm going to make sure they never catch me again. And I did it like that, and I was like, I have this new gear, it hurts like hell, I can't breathe, I can feel my heart about to explode. But I was just thinking, like, you know, this is a lesson that I've been avoiding for a very long time, and I used to have it. I lost it, and now I've got it back. And I, I learned a lot of that at the end of Oil Creek, where there's no way in hell that felt good. You get, I was in for 26 miles-ish, and it had to be the most miserable thing ever for you. For me, it was fine. Whatever, food was good. Um, and I just, you know, I paid attention to that for once. And, and it's, uh, I feel like it's good to have that back now, and it, that kind of, like, kicked me in the ass. Like, you know, I think it was on a training run, the... the two weeks before and in the little bit of conversation that, that we had during that I said you know I don't consider myself particularly fast but here's the two things that I have going for me um, I have a crap ton of endurance I just won't give up and when it comes to race day I find a gear that nobody else and that was, has and that became like and the... that was the, the two things that I highlighted was my training is the same as is a lot of people's training. There isn't yeah. a big difference there. Mileage or, or intensity, I mean, yeah, some of it might be a little bit faster, but it's not that much different. I'm not really that, I'm not really fast. I'm not like Kip fast, you know. I'm not. Am I decently fast? Sure, I'm decently fast, but I'm not fast, fast. But when it comes to race day, I'm able to find another gear, and I'm also just too damn stubborn to give up. It's the endurance factor that I just... I find another gear, and in that gear, I keep going and going. Stay. Well, that became that kind of became my mantra for, and I would, and I spent some time thinking about. You know, I had a, a really emotional day on Saturday, and I was thinking about a lot of things. And there's, you know, there's a lot going on in life, and there's, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people that do this stuff, where you, you kind of channel your anxieties or whatever, and kind of turn it into a positive force for a good performance. But I was, you know, in between all that, I was thinking about Jamie at Twisted Branch and how he totally just leveled up and just destroyed, you know, every expectation that anyone could have had. And, uh, 
and then and then you at Oil Creek, and I was you know I was you know fine. It was nice to step back into that sort of flow state where you're just kind of like nothing can really stop you, um, and to to beat people that should beat you, and, and feel good about that again. And it was you know that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't paced at Oil Creek, and that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken the time to pay attention to, to Jamie and Twisted Branch and to to watch. Scotty Jacobs really like take things to the next level and to watch these people that are probably fairly close to the same level as me just really, you know, go off and just make amazing things happen. Uh, and it, maybe it sort of knocked you out of that, that complacency oh, that you're Oh, dude, yeah. I've, I've been for probably, I think probably since dropping out of Can Lake last year, I've been in this like, you know, what the hell, where I get to mile like 13 and I'm like, you convinced yourself. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I, I mean, things like Muddy Sneaker were fine because it's, you know, it's 12 miles long. That's fine. You know, I, I can do that. Um, but then beyond that, I just, I became soft. I became kind of a, a chump and was very uh, happy to just kind of, you know, dial things back and, and take whatever came. And I found that being don't said, every time anymore. Mike and I have run together... We both have our strengths and our weaknesses, and <clears throat> Mike has always generally climbed better than I have. It just the way his his pace and his cadence is such that he's able to take apart a climb differently than I am. He he holds his arms differently, and so he's able to take apart a climb um, differently. Especially the little stuff that we've done in, you know, Tryon and, and Menden. I've just noticed that he just manages to take that apart differently. If you've got a big hill out at Bristol, it becomes different because then it becomes an endurance exercise. And sometimes that pits different strengths there. So he may have the right kind of technique and I just have that, that endurance gear which kicks in and overcomes that. Got that, that, got that buffalo gear. Yeah, you know? got that buffalo gear. Um I descend really well, so Mike and I know that when we're running trails, he he usually is up in the the ascents, and in the descents, he knows that I'm just going to get my big long legs cranking around in big circles, and and I'm going to be cranking around on those things. And he's not going to wait for you at the top. Well, there's like gonna... there's a big there's a like I noticed that well, I, I... it works to both of our advantage in the yeah. sense of training because Mike pulls me along on that yeah. ups and. And I push him. It depends where we're running. You know, if it's a trail that I'm familiar with, then I'm in the front. If it's a trail he's familiar with, then he's in the front. But it's a push-pull scenario where both of us basically are encouraging us to grow in our weaknesses. Yeah, and that's and an exploiting each other's strengths at the same time. Important part of choosing a training partner, I think, which is a really important part of growing as a runner. Um, and I remember this this training run that Laura and Jamie and I did out at. Um, Canadice Lake, uh, and it was cold still, it had to be March, um, there was snow on the ground, if I remember correctly, at any rate, uh, we're going up this hill, it's probably like, it was like 5k, just straight climbing, it's gotta be the biggest hill in the area, and Hobbs is destroying me on the ups, best climber I know, bottom line, uh, and then I would get up and he'd be coming down, and I'm up way ahead of Laura, like, 10 minutes type ahead of Laura and I'm like cool whatever at least I'm not last now I'm coming down the hill have, and here comes Laura just downhill just destroys me and I'm like okay so I'm like in the middle of someone that climbs way better than me and someone that descends way better than me 
I'm like, okay, I'm just going to kind of use this to to try to improve both of these things and try to become a more complete runner. Um, Clyde, uh, Clyde, the guy who's over 60, once asked, he said, I saw you descend this one time. It happened to be at the um, Green Lakes 100K. So I watched you descend, and they'd have to airlift me out if I tried to descend like you descended. <laughs> and Clyde used to um, do canoe races, and he's done whitewater and stuff like that. And I said, looking at a descent for me is like looking at a piece of whitewater for you. I see a line, and then I run it. Mm-hmm. You don't overthink it. You just kind of let your legs do the work, and... You let gravity do the work, and you run the line that you see. And you just got to keep your legs moving to keep up with just, gravity. You just, just don't keep die. It it's, it's easier and on trails. When you overthink yeah. it yeah. is when you get into trouble. And yeah. that that is the challenge, I think, for a lot of runners, especially trail runners, is they overthink the trail. And really this is a matter of being in the flow. I know it's very zen, but being in the mm-hmm. flow of the trail, of you can't overthink it. You really do have to be where it's at, and you do kind of have to visualize this path on the leaves, on the rocks, on the roots, and just flow over it. And there's a really there's a really great book called The Flow State. It's by a, a guy named uh, Mihaly uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, um, but it's about it's called The Flow State, where you're not you're not thinking, you're not doing, you're not you're just being, and, and whatever the task is at hand, it just feels right, it's effortless, and as soon as you start thinking about it, it all goes to hell. I, I think there is that a sense of immersing ourselves fully in the experience, and trail running tends to lend itself, I think, better to that than road running, although road running can do that, but immersing yourself totally within your environment and experience, there can be these mm-hmm. transcendent moments where you know, out-of-body experiences, whatever you want to call them, where your legs are moving and you're going, but it 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 just feels so easy. <clears throat> you feel like you're floating. That was a, a technique I used to use um, and stopped for whatever reason. I would consciously, like, sink into this thing. And I, the day I met you at, at Can Lake in 2012, um, I did a lot of this where things would start to hurt so bad that I just didn't want to be doing that anymore I didn't want to be running anymore you know breathing was terrible uh, heart rate was explosive and probably dangerous and it just became this like okay what do I do now I, I leave my body and I just became I would I would like focus on being um, you know uh, apparition that was like 10 feet above my actual body just watching my body move along on the course. So I'm now watching myself run this race, and I'm saying, okay, this isn't so bad from the vantage point of someone watching it. I've watched a lot of people run. It's really not that hard to watch people run by. Right. So I can just do that to myself, and then try to, you know, if I can, on some conscious level, just kind of exit my body and just, you know, avoid the fact that I am in complete agony, then... uh, (laughs) um, Eventually, the gap will close. I mean, every race that we do is just closing a gap. That's all you're doing. You're moving toward Free, the finish towards line. Towards the goal, towards the finish, yeah, towards towards finally listening to your body saying, please stop. I mean, yeah. really, that is inevitably what we are all yeah. moving towards is 
whatever victory it might be is to be able to stop, is the celebration of stopping, but yet knowing the, the, the thrill, of, I, I suppose, the pain we feel in our muscles for what it took to get to the point of stopping. Um, we were in the woods in Oil Creek when, when Mike said, you know, it was on this date three years ago when we first met. Yeah, it was our three-year anniversary. Around, around Can Lake. And I, and I felt like, is, is this some romantic moment that I'm feeling? It was. Dobbin's first words to me, like mile <coughs> four of Can Lake, were like, See you later. No, well, no, it was like, (laughs) no, because I actually, I actually took the lead for a minute, like an idiot. But uh, he was like, you, you can't. I threw my coat to a car that was driving by. He went to the opposite side of the road and, and like threw his coat, and I said, hey man. And he's like, you can't do that. You'll get disqualified. And it was, you know, it was pretty lenient back then, so he didn't dime me out or anything. But. You know, had Gilpin around, who knows? Uh, Your coat would have been burned right in front of you. <laughs> With me, out, like, put I'll this coat on, I'm going to burn my... Um, then DQ you. Yeah, but that was, yeah, that was our, our, you know, the first time we ever met, and it was, I don't know, it was funny, I, I but like... I did not set that date on the calendar and remembered it nostalgically, but I'm, I'm glad my friend had, had reminded me... I remember, I remember dates. <laughs> I've, you know, my entire life is, is this terrible roadmap, and I can't forget anything. But um, it's a series of scars. No, and yeah, well, it's a series we were, of getting my we ass sharing, kicked by sharing another moment yeah. of, of running together. Like, hey, it's our it's, it's our anniversary. It was our anniversary. We found a romantic moment on a bridge under the stars. The stars in PA this time so, of year. So if I could say, like, if I had to pick a, a highlight, a, a highlight moment, and there. There are a number that come in any course of any race, especially a hundred mile race. It's long enough that you end up having a few along the way. Mine was, and in, in, in we had we had set we had told ourselves no matter what the condition was, unless we unless we were in the lead, basically was kind of my feeling. On the going home loop, you go across an Indiana Jones um, suspended pedestrian bridge over the Oil Creek. Um, and I've never seen it in the daylight. I actually don't know how scary it is um, because I do, I've never seen it in the daylight. I, I think it might be kind of scary. But yeah, that's a good sure. point. Probably is pretty weird. Um, yeah. But I said, when we reach the middle of this bridge, because there was no moon and it was a clear night, we're going to shut off our headlamps and look at the stars. And we did it. And the stars were amazing. They were amazing. Yeah, like I said, I believe I could lay down and go to sleep right here. Be happy, and he talked about his first date with Nika being uh, Cherry Cherry Hill, Cherry Springs, yeah, Cherry Springs, darkest place in the country, darkest place in the in the Northeast United States, um, as far as seeing stars, and it's just a little bit southeast of Titusville, so gives you a perspective of how dark it was, it is, and on the going home loop. There's only one person that had gone there before us, and there was nobody behind us for an hour and 45 minutes. So it was dark. And we stood there for, gosh, I don't even know if it was a minute, maybe a minute. It was long enough. I mean, I. It was long enough. I, yeah, I mean, time was kind of hard to but perceive it was kind at that of one point. Of those but things it was like, let's just get it done. Yeah. Four miles had gone by, we had three to go. Yeah, but is it, I mean, it's worth it. I mean, it's not like we're about to get caught by anyone. Uh, no. But you, say, you take those, those, those moments. Of, you know, it's like Killian taking pictures at Hard Rock. 
Yeah. You can only capture that moment once. And for me, the moment of the race was being with Mike on that bridge, shutting off the lance, and looking at those stars yeah. in that moment. That's like a lifetime day. thing. I mean, it's like Dan Ostrander dropping out of Leadville at mile, you know, at Hope Pass, mile 65 or whatever. And he's like, I don't even give a damn. I yeah, just, just, he's like, I was up on this mountain with my best friend and I'm looking at it like I'm swimming in these stars and that's yeah. the greatest thing that I could take away from this whole thing and it, it and stops it, mattering what the hell right. you missed. And, and I guess that's kind of where I was at as I was we were going to finish there was no question about it but at that point the biggest gift that I could have been given was mm-hmm. given Yeah. You know, the buckle didn't matter anymore the finish didn't matter anymore how many people were going to be able to see that sky mm-hmm yeah. And those, those, it's not one answer. Whenever, whenever somebody asks, why do you do these crazy things you do? It's not, there's not one answer, but that's one of the answers. Yeah. It's one of the answers. You know, you know? And there's, yeah, there's a to, lot of those answers. It's to test ourselves. It's to see things that we could never see otherwise. It's to, you know, there's, there's a cadre of answers. Mm-hmm. One of them is because those types of moments arise once in a lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it's cool, like, I mean, I have to imagine being you where you're in shape to actually, like, in that moment, enjoy it. I remember, I have to look back now and say to myself, regarding Burning River and having Jamie with me, and I can take these really stupid moments from that race now and be like, you know, something like the cornfield or, like, um, covered bridge or... Uh, going through the woods and there's coyotes and I'm like, you know, I look back on that now and I can make sense of it and I can say that, um, and I don't want to say this one, I had a teacher one time that said, uh, you'll never know how much your parents love you until you have your own kid. And then suddenly you know what it's like to, what that, what that level of love is. And I think that like Jamie will not know how much his friendship has meant to me in terms of having paced me through that experience until he does a hundred miler and like gets to that mile 90 point and suddenly has to, you know, he's with somebody and that suddenly becomes his lifeline. And it's, you know, I look back on that now during the race, I was like, I hate everything. I just want to die. Somebody kill me. Um, you know, where's the next car that's coming by? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where's, where are these coyotes? Let's get this over with. Um, but I look back on it now and I'm just like this, you know, these, friendships and these things that that you they they become so enhanced by this suffering uh this is shared this suffering. Is like it's sh- yeah it's, it's like a, a completely suffering. mutual but a suffering. shared joy yeah you know, a shared victory that it's not one person's victory it's every person's victory and so as much as i finished you know my third hundred miler and I, I i broke the streak of first place finishes but i stayed on the podium as if that matters I I owe the people that have paced me. It's like Mike said. They don't yet understand. And Mike has seen the end of a 100 miler. He understands to yeah. a different degree than so, others. But I owe him because I seek to be there in that capacity for him. Laura has, has not yet touched that. But I owe her big, and I hope to be able to repay that for her is we, we dip our toes into these interesting waters. And as we do, we want others to do it as well. Um, and 
and we want to share that experience with them in the sense of inviting them to dip their toes in and share it alongside of us. It's, it's, it has given me so much in my life, um, and I have a hard time not wanting to encourage others to attempt it as much as it is a shared suffering, which it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because uh, Twisted Branch, you know, um, and I, I've talked <coughs> ad nauseum about Twisted Branch, so I won't go into that too much. But, um, there we go. So, there's a piece, the, the first piece of um, uh, Twisted Branch, Mike and I ran together. We ran the you know, five miles down into Urbana Town Hall. Yeah. It, the, some of the most beautiful trail. Uh, and so that's gorgeous. That yeah, pine trail is... That's, that's part of, of that course. Beautiful piece of trail I've ever been on. So yeah. the way that I enticed Dave Justice into facing me, I was like, oh, let me show you this. I was like, there's going to be this most beautiful piece of trail. It's going to be... There's a gorge next to us. It's going to be running down, and then we're going to be in a... A vineyard, and then there's the nice mountain ridge, and and I was like, oh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. You're gonna you're gonna be amazed. Well, yeah. So I was slow, so it's at night, <laughs> and so I got a bum knee, and so we can't run it. And so I'm like, I'm sorry, Dave, that you're walking through these dark woods at night and you can't run it. But I assure you, it's really beautiful. <laughs> and when you come back next year, you'll get to see you can it. see it in the light. But uh, yes, I had a, I had a, I I could not resist tempting him with this delicious piece of trail. Did he did he run an exceptional marathon right after that? Yes. He I did. have a theory that pacing people mm-hmm. leads to great things. Leads to great um, things. I think that Jamie's twisted branch experience was partially due to twelve hours on feet of walking yeah. and burning watching river. me suck ass at Burning River yeah. for. And then, and then you had this thing at Water Gap. And then Water, yeah, like what? I mean, I did twenty-five miles at two week and once, and then again, and uh, yeah, and then Water Gap. So I, th- I think that's. I think it just puts you in the right position. There is something moving about being part of a race experience without being a racer. Mm-hmm. That I think also just preps you to want to participate fully. Yeah, being a pacer is participating. But you know that you don't get that full spectrum of what it is to participate. You know, that, that sense of exhaustion and exultation that comes at the end of an effort expended. Um, you've helped somebody achieve that, and that's great. But you don't celebrate in the same way in your achievement. So does it lead to, to them having their own victories? Yeah, I think so, because you've sat there and been a part of so many other people's day that I think you're kind of pregnant for your own experience of doing it and, and primed up for it in such a capacity that, that you say that you get to that day and, and, and you're just you're ready to go you're ready to go mm-hmm. yeah it's just giving back it's good karma you know I, th- I think that's it, part of it and I think big... it's also a hell of a training I mean he had a 25 mile training run that yeah. day yeah, like, I mean, Hop's got a good 45 miles in right. May, and then... <laughs> and who does a 45-miler for uh, a yeah, training there's run? There's no reason for it. Yeah, exactly. But maybe there, maybe there is. Maybe there's something to this. 45-mile chafed run. Yeah. Chafed. 
<laughs> the cowboy. Bleeding from everywhere. Oh my goodness. Good times. It is good, good times. times. I remember, yeah, the, the mood lift that I got, like, seeing Jamie's wardrobe coming into that was it <laughs> yeah the hat was invaluable like, so so i asked you a question about a half hour ago how the hell did clyde get his microwave back uh i think my dad brought it to the start oh, yeah i've seen more people doing work right yeah, yeah so so dad had stopped by the uh the hotel to pick things up somewhere along the way and gotten it back to clyde so mm-hmm. it, it worked out in that in that regard but yeah so i see a line of ultra microwaves in the future <laughs> yeah must be the Oscvig ultra microwave. Uh, that's become one of the things that usually I look for in a hotel room. Is does it have a microwave for me to heat up my oatmeal on the morning of a, a race? So you know, I yeah, there may well be the ultra microwave line. I start think, carrying it then, then soon. I think it'd be nice. It's like forty dollar model. Right? <laughs> just enough to fit a bowl. Just a bowl just enough for for breakfast. That's all you need. Uh, Boy. I didn't eat breakfast that day. No, you don't ever eat. No, you, you don't, just, you don't I have to. We ate one or, or sometime along I didn't have I to. I said, somebody make sure that Mike eats. He's got to pace me later. Yeah, I think your dad gave me something or something. We've point. discussed how you don't eat before runs. You take that whole training run fasting thing yeah. to the next a little, level. A little too serious sometimes. A water gap, yeah. I remember I hit eight one. And I ate like ten. I grabbed, no, I, no, I grabbed a gel and I ate part of it. And then A2, I grabbed it. I puked three times during that race. It was all from trying new things and running too fast. So I say, you don't eat gels. I was like redlined. Every, well, then that was the thing. I wasn't vomiting because of what was was or was not in me. It was the gels would go into my mouth and the contents of my stomach would just come out to like clean the gels out of my mouth. But I remember what the doctor says. You can absorb calories with the gel. 70% absorbed. Yeah, so I was like, if I can just keep this in here for one second, I'm getting some calories. I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But then I, I got into this habit where I would grab, there'd be like cool things. Ian put some cool things at the aid stations that are new and neat. There was these like weird salt something or other. It was almost like something I would go fishing with if I were into fishing. Salt lure? Yeah, it was like, like put this on your hook and you'll catch like a 14-pound carp. And I grabbed a, a pouch of these, and I ate Catch one. Catch a guy with dreadlocks yeah. going down his back. Catch a hobo. I put one in my mouth. I spit it out, and I carried a bag of these things to the next aid station, and I was like, these sucked. Take them back. And I grabbed a gel, and then I puked again. And uh, what did I end up eating that day that worked? Terror chips. Terror by chips, By Sage man. Candidate, who says... You know, his first Ian Golden race when he was like, I found these tarot chips mm-hmm. at the aid station at Cayuga, and they're the best thing ever. Yep. And I that's like, what I, that's, I had one works. special request at uh, Mighty Mosquito 99, because they gave all the solo runners one special aid station food that yeah. they would stock for them, and that's what tarot I asked chips. for. Tarot chips. Tarot chips. chips. They're sweet potato chips. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. You kind of find what works for you, and yeah. I used a lot of, other than relying upon aid stations, I used a lot of honey stinger honey gel the classic gold which is 95% honey now I take that almost like you would a shot I mm-hmm. swallow it in a single yeah. gulp because if I have to hold it in my mouth I think it is more like I mean goo but just tastes like shit there's goo, there's like no way to make <laughs> no. to like dress goo up and make it no. taste good the no. salted watermelon's okay hey, the root beer one I'll eat when I'm just hanging around the campfire but really like the <laughs> 
It tastes terrible. Let's not hang around a campfire. I just love to eat goo. Yeah, yeah let's not miss that getting, point. Getting wasted and getting all jacked up on goo. But, it worked, but goo but, works for Magda. I mean, she lives off goo. She, of course. She won Western States on goo. Well, it's like... She makes the stuff, so I mean... Yeah, I mean, if the money is there. But No, I mean, every, she makes it. She's in the lab. Everybody like, has their formula. Yeah. Everybody has their formula of what works. Mm-hmm. But, and you all have been around my crew enough to know that my formula is not thinking. Yeah, I've watched your dad. I, I could create you for whatever now. I've seen your dad my do this enough times. somebody else thinking for me from the nutritional standpoint and then saying, there's this in your handheld, eat this before I see you again. This essentially is the philosophy of yeah. it. My formula is going into aid stations and looking at people that are volunteering and be like, you guys got to be bored out of your mind. It's gonna be a long day. So I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat. <laughs> whatever that I got. And I was gonna say Mike's philosophy is also not thinking, but it well, starts before the race. <laughs> so that book that Davin mentioned is actually called The Long Walk, and it was written by Stephen King back in his Richard Bachman days. Uh, you can find a link to it uh, and other things referenced during the show, including that super awesome book, The Flow State. Honestly, I can't recommend that book enough. So good. Uh, you can find that, those links and other links that we discussed in the show in the show notes. Check those out at www.runninginsideoutpodcast.com slash podcast and find episode 15. While you're there, you can check out the guest page to see who has been on the show in the past and read uh, about their bios that they work so hard to write. And if you'd like to support the show, check out the aptly named uh, Support the Show page. Also, follow us on Facebook, write an iTunes review, tell your friends, help those friends subscribe to the show on their phone. I personally have helped three people in the last two weeks who didn't even know they had a podcast app. But uh, most importantly... Get out there and create some stories of your own. And then get on the show and tell us about them. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. As always, be thankful for what you've been given. Be proud of what you've achieved. And let go of what you've lost. See you out there.